Welcome back to This Sacred Life. I'm Shan Vanderleek, and today I have the honor of spending some time with Danielle Dalsky to talk about her brand new book, The Holy Wild Grimoire. A heathen visionary, painter, poet, storyteller, and word witch, Danielle teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment trainings, communal spell work, and seasonal rituals since 2007. Good Lord, Danielle, you have been so busy. You have been writing up a storm, and I think that the Holy Wild Grimoire might be my favorite. It's hard to say that because I've really enjoyed every book, but this one is really speaking to me right now. It's just, wow. Anyway, congratulations. Today is the launch, your first interview, and here we are kicking off your brand new book. <laughs> yes, today is the day that's so exciting. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to begin today the way that I always do. Uh, I pull an oracle card before every conversation that I ever have. And Maeve showed up today, which just cracked me up. And of course, you know, Maeve is about cycles and rhythms and honoring our body and our energy levels and our emotions. And this card comes up after I've been working with the water chapter of your book, which is very much about Maeve and, and very much, uh, so it, it, there are no mistakes, of course, but I'd love to know what you think about Maeve joining us for this conversation today. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's a big first question. I could say a lot about Maeve. Maeve is one of the primary deities that I work with in my witchcraft. She has a large altar where I spend a lot of time in upstate New York. We dedicated this land to her. Maeve to me means a lot of things, but she is uniquely, I think, the union between sexuality and prosperity, which we don't usually think about, you know, most of our the goddesses that we think about, we don't think about the convergence of those two energies. But yeah, she's prosperity, abundance, and then also this kind of fierce feminine sensuality, sexuality. Yes, that's what I think of when I when I feel into Maeve's energy. But she's also very, you know, when I say fierce, I mean it. Like she really yeah. is like the warrioress. Yeah, how appropriate. Maeve is here. Welcome, Maeve. Maeve is here. <laughs> when the book came, just in time for me to dip my toe in, I went right to the water section. Because this book is about how the five elements are, are participating in our life story, right? And that's, that's what we're, we're looking at. So I went right to water and started to dive into the story, answer the questions, and really start looking around at my life and how water is everywhere for me. And as a transformation goddess, doesn't that make sense? And listening and reading and, and digging into how you bring May forward and identifying with her in, in a way that I never knew. And then to have the card come and then to find out how important Maeve is in your practice and how, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Maeve is uh, her. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not that surprised that she showed up and kind of inserted herself because she does that sort of thing. But yeah, Maeve's energy being timely for, I think, all artists, the more creative personalities and holding the tension of this apocalypse that we're all moving through has been a real, I mean, challenge isn't even the right word, right? It's been, it's been sort of like, feels like the culmination of the life's work has been happening during the past two years. (laughs) Yeah, right? Reckoning is the word that keeps coming up for me. The reckoning. You say that this book is a series of invitations. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I think that um, increasingly when I write, I am writing as an invitation to just think about things and not necessarily from a more you know masterly, teacherly place. And maybe I always wrote that way, but it's especially coming forward right now that these are invitations. You can take them or you can leave them. I think it's probably true of all of my books, but um, especially this one, I think that there'll be certain stories and myths or practices that don't resonate with everybody. I don't know, you know, how the whole book, everything in it could resonate with every single reader. So there'll be some things that get left out. And then I'm hoping that there's, you know, just one thing in the book that just feels like it kind of illuminates exactly what wants to be illuminated right now in the reader's life. And so, yeah, a series of invitations, you can accept them or not, but I hope that, uh, I hope that everyone finds the nourishment that they need in the book, even if it's just like a small tidbit. Oh my gosh. And the thing (laughs) is, is to only be a chapter in Mm -hmm. and to not have I've, I've read the introduction and I've read the water chapter and, and I'm not fully done with the questions. There's no way I could be fully done with the question. And I don't need to be. And, and one, that's one of the things I'm really enjoying about this is not that I was surprised that you were going to invite me to go deep because that just makes me laugh. Of course you were. Yeah. And, and then to see how they kind of build on top of each other. And, and one of the questions that kind of stopped me in my tracks was, when do I feel safe to accept myself creatively? Mm-hmm. And I realized that in this form, I would tell you, well, what are you speaking of? I, I feel safe. I can do anything. I'm very creative, la, la, la. Right. But then I'll go and I'll look in a, a journal that I have and I'll find something like, it is safe mm-hmm. to write this book. Wow, yes. Or I'll find things that remind me of being certain of my lightness of being mm-hmm. because wow. sometimes things can just feel a little bit heavier or too important or I'm still sitting with that. When is it safe? And then some of the other questions what does my forbidden dance look like? I could talk about that for days, you know, I could. And so I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to work through the entire book. And it is going to take some time because I really, really want to taste every, every bit of it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I was thinking about that, you know, because in writing it, I'm kind of swimming in it. 
but I know how long it took me to write it. (laughs) How long would it actually take everyone to go through all of these practices? And I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on how long you sit with the tension of certain questions and stories. Right. Yes. I imagine it would take a bit to get through the whole book and yeah, that question about when it feels safe to express yourself creatively. I think that for me, that feels really poignant today because I too am very comfortable in this sort of setting, you know, and I've created some communities where I feel really safe to be all in. And there's certain magazines that I write for where I know I can say exactly what I want to say. And then there's, there's the other places and the other you know, the other containers where it feels like necessarily I need to temper myself a little bit if I'm to get the message in there. Mm, I think it's Michael Mead, the great storyteller, Michael Mead, who says, he says something like, sooner or later, you have to bring your art back to the community that rejected it in the first place. Yes. Right. Oh, yes. (laughs) You know, for me, it's like being in these safe places where I do feel really free to express myself creatively, but then also being in other places where maybe I'm safe, but there's still a feeling of tension or there'll be some people that don't get it, et cetera. Oh, yeah. I've heard for the majority of of my lifetime that I'm unfiltered and that, that I'm scary. I remember years ago when that first kind of took me by surprise. It did. It was like, really? This is, I, I'm just, this is where I'm at or who I am. I have this gorgeous, tender heart and this ability to to really practice walking in be- beauty. And like, how, what do you mean? I'm scary. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm quite fierce or, you know, just what does that mean to me? And, and how do I show up? And then remembering in some places because of that unfiltered nature, often I don't tame it down in places where maybe I should tame it. So then I'm freaking people, then, you know, then it becomes like freaking somebody out or whatever. But now at at this stage in in my life and this time around, I I mostly don't care. Yeah. It's not my intention to be rude or my intention to have you go running down the street with your hair on fire because I just blew your mind. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm much more available for that than I was before, I guess. Yeah. And so that's, a, I find that to be a gift. And so maybe now when I listen back to our podcast, I can go back in and answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's a little bit better. <laughs> there is a, a part of your book called A Story Lantern, which <laughs> I really enjoyed. Uh, tell us a little bit about what A Story Lantern is, and then maybe encapsulate the, the story in the water chapter about Maeve. About Maeve, yeah. Story lantern's a term that I started using, I think, late 2020, because, you know, I was alone with myself and my family a lot. And I did just arrive at like this new kind of level of channeled writing where the the mythology of the deities that I work with, I really wanted to not re- you know, reorganize their stories or anything, but be able to kind of write them out in my own words for no purpose other than getting to know them better, right? So it wasn't, I'm going to rewrite these stories and put them in a book. It was, let me rewrite these stories and see how it feels. And so 
Maeve was one of those stories. So a story lantern to me is allowing a story to illuminate what wants to be seen. So this doesn't have to necessarily be a story that any one writer, me included, wrote. It can be any story. It can be, you know, the Disney movie or the Netflix series that you're watching. Right, right. It's asking yourself, like, what is this story illuminating for me right now? And knowing that there's a real magic in being able to answer that because you would answer that question completely differently. Like in a couple of weeks, you would say something completely different. So stories really have this way of illuminating what wants to be seen. And sometimes just like a single scene in a story can have all of the answers that you need. It doesn't even have to be like the entire plot line from start to finish. And so I began, you know, using story lanterns in my witchcraft primarily for discernment purposes where it was like, you know, what's the right spell to cast or, you know, what's the right move to make? What's the right question to be asking? Because um, we all need to know those, those right. things from time to time. But allowing myself to just read a story and have something step forward and then receiving proof again and again that that was really powerful for me, that a single story could not give me all the answers, but at least show me the direction that I'm meant to go. Mm-hmm. And so that was the idea for Story Lantern. And then Maeve was one of those stories. that So the goddess of holy intoxication. Maeve was one of the early stories that I began working with in this way in 2020. And so the writing of her story went through so many incarnations. So I don't know if you noticed, but that's by far the longest story lantern in the book because I just kept, you know, because I work with her so much, I kept adding to it and adding to it. And then she'd be like, you forgot to say this. You forgot to say this. (laughs) Right, right. And then she's like, Shan, you will start here. This is where you're starting. (laughs) Yeah. So Maeve is the story lantern because that story lantern so long. I mean, whatever steps forward for the reader as being important, I mean, it really must be a potent message because that story is just so, so long. One of the areas that stood out for me was the question, what if you are whole and well and it is your world that is sick? And what if, my love, what if all your feverish quests for wholeness required, in the end, not a submission to some distant and dominant God, but a once and future belief that there was a land that longs for you as much as you long for it. Like that grabbed me. Yeah. So potent. Yeah. Thank you. That's a very Maeve question. So, you know, the the line that's in there, some say the gods left these waters long ago, but I say the water is God. That's yes. repeated again and again in the story. That is, you know, a really good example for me of what was clearly a channeled writing because I don't remember writing it and then it just echoes in my head all of the time now. I mean, for years, it's in so many of the stories. It's in a lot of the story lanterns that are in that book. But I really feel like, that was the voice of Maeve. The land is God, the water is God. And she very much is like, like a lot of the Irish deities, you know, she is this particular feminine energy as it is expressed through the landscape. There's this sort of a different knowing of like, you know, the gods not necessarily being ethereal sky daddies. (laughs) Right, right. Are really being underneath us, like, you know, the pulse of them under our feet all the time. Yeah. Yeah. 
so potent. And the story of the king and his wife and his impatience to have a child. Mm -hmm. And then when the trickster gets involved and steals the flower that, but it's a beautiful teaching and what you can take away from it. So as I talk about this very big one fifth of the book, (laughs) there's just so much gold in each piece of it. And Mm -hmm. then how Maeve deals with what comes of the impatience of the king and the children that are born and, and how you can just apply that and really look at what's happening in the world right now and picture Maeve saying, "Uh uh-uh, enough of that. We're we're gonna stop this right now. If I gotta bury you up to your neck, if I have to, whatever it is I have to do in order to get back to what's important. Right, yeah. And yeah, that the, the trickster in the story, how it kind of like, you know, shakes up everything. That's what tricksters do in stories and in our lives, right? One of my favorite books is Trickster Makes the World by Lewis Hyde. And he says, like, the trickster keeps the world flexible. Right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My gosh. Just when you think you know exactly what's going to happen. Nope. Nope. Um, Yeah. Was really, I've been really feeling trickster energy, but especially 2020. I was, like, reading so many trickster things. And so, you know, for me, having the trickster step forward as an archetype that felt really illuminated, like a story lantern would illuminate something during the pandemic and just what I thought I knew what I was going to (laughs) do. Right, right. And actually, I had my interview with you for my book that was coming out in March of 2020. I don't know if you remember, but I had my interview with you. Maybe it was like March 1st or something like that. I mean, it was before we really understood what was happening. And I was talking about like all of the great things I was going to do, all of the book events and retreats. Oh, I was on my, I was on my way to England. Uh, Of course that didn't come to pass. One of the things that I came away with is as much disappointment as there was in some of the things that didn't come to pass. Yeah. There was also a sweetness in that and a spaciousness in that and something to really uh, take in and, and look at in a different way. And I don't know if that's, if you're resonating with, with that, but that for me, yeah. it was, it was like, okay, this is a pain in the ass. Now all this money is tied up with Delta and these tickets. Cause you know, they don't want to give right. you money back, blah, blah, blah. And you're supposed to go see your, one of your best friends. And now you can't. Yeah. And then I was like, well, what else is possible? What, what, where can I go with this now? And then it really in, was an invitation to go deeper in so many ways. Right. And so I find so much gratitude for that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. yeah. I made decisions in, you know, between March and probably November of 2020. So that however many months that was, yeah. <laughs> her time just felt like it five was, million months, five million. Exactly. <laughs> it felt like it was, I lived so many lifetimes in that space of time. I made so many bizarre choices that even in hindsight, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Yeah. Making those choices, but they kind of made sense at the time. 
because you know all of our choices are always co-created by the world and what's going on and so of course my choices were strange because the world was very strange and continues to be very strange but yeah I mean it really was the trickster from the Maeve story coming in and swiping the flower and just setting everything on this different trajectory yeah but me too I I feel like I and I think about this (laughs) not every day but often like who would I be if that didn't happen who would I be if the pandemic didn't happen in that way and it certainly changed the family scape of my household and and it was the it was the right thing you say that the time to radically revision our place in the world is now Mm -hmm. yes speak to that now now well yeah I could say a lot of things about it but since we're talking about 2020 and the pandemic, I feel that we were kind of given, my perspective is we were given this opportunity (laughs) as as a collective, we were given this opportunity to remake the world in, you know, in a different way. And I remember that March and April and maybe May of 2020, when the schools, my local schools around here, they like gave all of the kids free laptops. They had free breakfast and free lunch for the kids that, you know, depended on that and couldn't get it at home. And I remember thinking like, and they just did it. Like there was no policy or vote or anything. Like they were just like, we have to do this. It's an emergency. And I remember thinking, oh, so we could have done this the whole time. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) If you did it that quickly, we could have really done this the whole time. And so I I remember thinking like, oh, and and like the rent freezes and all of the other policies that were coming out and then, you know, sending people money. And I know that that's a whole political thing. My my perspective was like, we could have done this the whole time. We could have had more support for people and children the whole time. And yet we didn't. And I was so sure that we were going to continue with this, you know, newfound sense of collective compassion and I thought like this is it this is our our worldwide grief ritual that we've been needing this whole time um and then you know we just sort of like hurried on to get back to normal and the way things used to be and I think we can all feel you know the tension around that and how it's impossible we can't go back it's like good luck with that yeah right exactly and so now what so this time to radically revision the world now, like this is our chance. Like it's still here. The yeah. crack is still open. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Portal's still open. We can still go through it. But yeah. Yeah. So definitely now. Yeah. And a book like The Holy Wild Grimoire is going to help and move that forward. The, the more people who read this book and do the work because it's, you know, again, this is not light reading. (laughs) It is incredibly entertaining and it's very deep and it's very thoughtful. And if you allow yourself to submerge in this experience, there's no way you can come away without radically revisioning your place in it and how you can change the world right starting in your under your own roof and then radiating out so right oh man i can't believe that we've already been talking for 30 minutes it's like (laughs) what (laughs) um 
what else would you like to share with us today about the holy wild grimoire that we haven't talked about um, of course we want to let people know that this book is available at, at amazon.com and wherever books are sold it's also available at daniellebelsky.com but what else would you like to bring forward yeah i guess you know just emphasizing what you said that it's not an easy read <laughs> that it is so you know the original idea for the book was that it would be a companion journal for the holy wild the heathen bible and really quickly in writing it it was evolving into something completely different but you know there there's prompting questions there's invitations to make art in the journal and then there's the spell work and the story so there's a lot woven in to every chapter and, uh, you know, the, 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 the big point is for the reader to write their own grimoire. Yes. So it's not necessarily a traditional grimoire where you can find all of the different herbal correspondences and everything else. Those are important. But this is yeah. you writing your own, your own book of poetry and art and reflection and vision work for each of the five elements and then just knowing that probably at least one of the elements will step forward as being more important you know if the grimoire ends up being primarily about the book of water that that's okay <laughs> right 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 well and i love how it's a braiding together of memory presence and future yeah and so what an invitation to dig in and just allow yourself to be with it, whatever it looks like without judgment. And just, even if you just take one element and that's what you focus on for several months, if that's what you need to. You, and that's what I like too about your writing is I can always go in where I want to go. And then I can come back and move through it the way I wish to move through it. The more flexibility that I have from an author, an invitation to do that, the more I find it interesting. And, and it's probably what I was going to do anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I just, I love that we get to enjoy a deeper knowing of how each element affects our lives and to not just be like, oh yeah, I really love going to Lake Michigan. You know, there's right. a reason why when I go swimming there, I feel like I'm being blessed by the goddess every time I put my foot in the water. Yeah, you know, blah blah, like, and just blow it off. And now to be like, oh my goodness, th <laughs> this is so prevalent. Let's dig in and find out why. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Being able to see like the poetry of your life, oh, you know, yeah. when you write it down, it becomes more important i mean we know that when you communicate it in any way it becomes yeah. more important but yeah otherwise our whole stories our whole you know magical novel that we've been writing yeah. this whole time since we were born just kind of lives in our heads and so yeah being able to manifest it in that way on the page as yeah. part of your grimoire it's it's important yeah it changed things it's really potent work and i'm grateful that you wrote this book yeah, thank you so much. Oh, man, thank you so much for making time to have a conversation with me for this sacred life. 
I adore you. I am so happy for you and the, the launch of this book. It's going to be wildly successful without question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shan. So, so good to be here again. The Holy Wild Grimoire is a book of magic, spells, ceremonies, journaling exercises, recipes, and incantations. This is an invitation to bewitch and bewitch. Get your copy of The Holy Wild Grimoire at daniellodalski.com or wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.